all of the music this morning has just been tremendously instrumental in ministering to my heart. Amen. A number of you are sending texts to me during the song service saying it did the same to you. And that's ministering to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's when you know the purpose for music and worship is having its place. So praise God for all that you've done to minister God's word to each other in song this morning. Um, great encouragement. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. You say we're still in chapter 1. Yes. We might be for a few more weeks. I hope you still come. For those of you who are guests this morning, we are studying the book of Job uh, to begin this year. And uh, you can go back and listen to as many recordings on this as you wish in the second week of February forward here uh, in 2022 and um, we'll continue on with our study of this godly man and his testimony uh, here this morning uh, tonight as Pastor Steve said will be a great time of spiritual refreshment for you and your families um, I talked to the director of this group coming through to see us tonight and just told him that our congregation stands in great need of just being encouraged through song and as many times as you can allow us to sing along with you and to have a little bit of a hymn sing as your choir sings that would be great uh, so he was super sympathetic to that um, so I hope you can come back tonight uh, and join us at six for that wonderful time of worship and fellowship together before and after as Pastor Steve has already mentioned uh, so many other things in our prayer um, request forms as well. I so appreciate the Bible study class leaders putting together prayer requests and sending them out to each class. I've asked each class to send me those requests even though I'm not part of your class. I'd love to pray through those. So thank you for doing that. So many other needs as Pastor Steve said in, in addition to the ones that are uh, that were prayed for this morning. Folks recovering from major and minor surgeries all throughout our flock and you know who they are continue to pray for them a number of them that would wish to be here this morning but can't because they're in various stages of recovery um, but thank you for joining us by live stream and um, so glad to have you uh, today let's ask God's blessing on the preaching of his word this morning as we continue father in heaven may your word that we hear fall upon ears that are ready to not just hear but listen and hearts that are ready to do your word so help us Lord to be faithful hearers and faithful doers of your word so that we might know what it means to be blessed in our deed as James 1.25 says help us Lord as 1 Thessalonians 2.13 teaches teaches that we might receive the word of God as it is indeed his word and not the word of men. That as we receive it as your word, we entrust ourselves to it that it might effectually work in us who believe. As Job stated in chapter 23 that we read several weeks past, I pray that we would love to feast on your word much more than even our necessary daily provision of food. 
And as David wrote in Psalm 19, help us, Lord, to allow the law of God to enrich our hearts that we might know your mind and your heart for us to live your will. As John wrote in John 17, our Savior prayed, your Son prayed, that we would not be removed from this earth, but we would remain here. And while we're here, be sanctified by your word because your word is truth. So as we look into your word this morning, help us, Lord, to know what it means to walk as children of light as opposed to children of darkness in this present world for eternal purposes in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's look at verses four and five uh, this morning. Speaking of Job's family, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. We know that Job is wisdom literature. Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, this is wisdom literature. Can I tell you what wisdom literature is? Wisdom literature is God's perspective on how to live practically. And it actually became a literary genre. I think sometimes we look at wisdom literature as a genre before it is uh, a way to live. But wisdom literature really teaches us how to live God's will each and every day of our lives. What's also interesting about wisdom literature to me, and I hope it is to you, that it was used in Old Testament Israel's history to primarily target the audience of the youth of the Jewish family. While Deuteronomy 6 is not wisdom literature, that's part of Mosaic literature, it's the Pentateuch, that's the law. It was the way that God taught Israel that youth should know how to live life from their parents' instruction of God's word within their families. That's why the first seven chapters of Proverbs, which is wisdom literature, has children listening to the wise instruction of their father and their mother. You can go back and read the book of Proverbs, probably in one sitting, take you a couple hours, and you'll see uh, the way each one of those first seven chapters starts is a direct address to children, to the youth of the family of Israel, if you will. Consider how many times in Ecclesiastes, which we've already stated as wisdom literature as well, that the author of Ecclesiastes asks youth to fear the God of their youth, to bear their yoke in their youth. 
Job is wisdom literature. We've established that. So Job then teaches our youth here this morning and teaches really all of us the spiritual emphases that God would have for family life. Job was a model of practical living for his children, and we find here that his children were willing to follow that model and indeed became that model themselves. Job was not an enforcer. Job was not a legalist. Job loved and feared God and modeled what God's grace would have him example for his children. There's actually a psychological condition. I don't know if you knew this or not. It's called scrupulosity. Have you heard of that? Scrupulosity. Let me give you the definition for this. Scrupulosity is a psychological disorder primarily characterized by pathological guilt or obsession associated with moral or religious issues that is often accompanied by compulsive moral or religious observance and is highly distressing and maladaptive. You need me to read that again? <laughs> of course you do. Scrupulosity. Doing a lot of studying about this lately. It's actually... It's actually a condition that's being addressed and treated by a lot of Christian psychologists in our day. Um, and their patients are second, third, and fourth generation Christians. Scrupulosity is a psychological disorder primarily characterized by pathological guilt or obsession associated with moral or religious issues that is often accompanied by compulsive moral or religious observance and is highly distressing and maladaptive. Job didn't guilt trip his kids into living godly. He wasn't obsessive compulsive about living or enforcing his faith. He wasn't distressing. None of these vices would be living in the fear of the Lord, which God tells us Job did. It wouldn't be wisdom. He modeled godliness. Living godly was not a religion to Job. It was a life born out of an intimate knowledge and relationship with his creator, the gracious and the holy almighty. And Job's children admired his gracious and holy example. So for all of us, including first and foremost, our youth in the room this morning. Enjoy wisdom literature. Enjoy observing the life of the godly parents you've been given. If you're here and you don't have godly parents in your home, there are plenty of sweet, godly models of faith here at Grace who would love to spiritually adopt you and live this kind of fear that Job had of the Lord before you. So we've been investigating the God-fearing life of Job. We considered the character of his person. Remember verse one? And we began unpacking Job's discerning perspective, so the character of his person and then his spiritual perspective on life the last time we were together. We'll continue on in, in that this morning, and then we'll look at his piety and his patience. His person, his perspective, his piety, and his patience. Before we do some more spade work on the life of Job in relationship to his perspective, 
could I ask you to consider this? I believe, as we've said, that the very nature of wisdom literature is to teach us how to live. Within our context of Job, the author would love for us to know the life of Job and how he lived it in the fear of the Lord because this life would prepare him for what may be unavoidable for all of us, which is God-appointed suffering. So fearing God as demonstrated in our living would certainly help us as it did Job prepare for this kind of suffering. I really believe that wisdom would teach us that because Job's person was blameless and upright, he feared God turning away from evil this was preparation ground for him being able to not curse God in the time of his appointed suffering, but to trust God. We talked last week about Job's perspective in relationship to his past. We won't spend much time there this morning because we did last week, but we also began to do some work in relationship to Job's things, his wealth, his resources, that are clearly outlined for us here in verse 2 that we read last week. What about the stuff that God gave Job? Well, I'd like to talk about that for a little bit longer here this morning, um, and then we'll move on into his piety and his patience Job had been given a posterity. Remember, 10 children. He had been given many possessions. His business really is demonstrated in the detail of the amount of livestock that he had. And he had been given great promotion. The text of Scripture tells us he had been noted as the, the greatest in the East of that time. The father of the Reformation, Martin Luther, said this Pray and let God worry. Why, he said, because I've held many things in my hands and have lost them all. But whatever I've placed in God's hands, that I still possess. Amen. Job lived this practical wisdom. This wisdom literature is not written to teach us how Job gained it all. It was written for us to know the perspective that God just gave it to him. Remember, God is impartial. He didn't gift all these things to Job because Job was special. All of God's children in Christ are equally special to God. He asks us to be impartial. Remember the situation in James 2 that we alluded to last week where the saints in that church were not impartial and that was sin for them. And they had forgotten to be impartial because they had forgotten to remember who was the giver of wealth and who was the giver of poverty. We realized last week from Job chapter 1 and verses 21 and 22 that even though Job had everything and then God took away everything, he still had a proper perspective of God because he said, blessed be his name. 
the God who gives and the God who takes away. Job had this perspective in relationship to his posterity, his possessions, and his promotion because he knew God. Job didn't feel he had earned the right to speak in anyone's life because of what he had or because of all he enjoyed. He had been gifted to him and we would strive to remain as satisfied with and in life with nothing as he was with everything because his satisfaction was not the gift but the giver of the gift. This is incredible perspective for all of us. What was Christ's perspective on riches in Luke chapter 8, verses 25 to 27, where he said, for it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. What was Jesus saying about riches? He's saying they're easily trusted over the giver. But the true definition of a person of wealth should be found in the giver and not the gift. Jesus' listeners then said, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, the things that are impossible with people are all possible with God. Job knew, even as an early writer of scripture, that both salvation and wealth are all the Lord's to do with as he wishes. Think with me of a New Testament perspective on wealth in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. Would you go with me there? Go way over to the New Testament. And since we're talking about Job's perspective of his wealth that had been gifted to him by God, I think it's fair for us to look at a New Testament passage, particularly in a pastoral epistle on the topic of 1 Timothy of wealth here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul tells Timothy here in verse 17, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So the focus is on the giver and not the gift. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Tell them really to store up treasures for themselves in heaven by taking that which God, the giver, has gifted them with and investing it for spiritual and eternal purpose. Job was way ahead of his New Testament time (laughs) in how he handled his theology of God's gifts. Go back with me now to Job chapter 31. Back to the book we're studying in the 31st chapter. What is Job's theology of wealth that God had given him? 
This is Job's rebuttal of one of the unfortunate criticisms of his peers. <laughs> and he's talking about his own integrity here in relationship to his wealth. He said, if I have put confidence in gold, Job 31 and verse 24, and called fine gold my trust, if I, had, if I have gloated because my wealth was great, and because my hand had secured so much. Notice what he's saying here. He's not saying I'm rich because I was good at what I did. He's not praising his own ability here or his own craftiness or his own business savvy. He's saying, if I would have done this. Verse 26 if I have looked at the sun when it shone or the moon going in splendor and my heart became secretly enticed and my hand threw a kiss from my mouth, that too would have been an iniquity calling for judgment. For I would have denied God above. Everything Job had, he knew was not his, but was on loan from God to be used for godly purposes. This is wisdom literature. This is wisdom literature. Remember, young people, kids, right? All those who could hear with understanding in the room, this is God's wisdom for us in relationship to our stuff, because it's not ours Job's consequent use of God's gifts to him is wisely described in the same chapter let's go back up to verses 16 and read through 23 Job chapter 31 and verse 16 if I have kept the poor from their desire or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail or have eaten my morsel alone and the orphan has not shared it, but from my mouth he grew up with me as with a father and from infancy I guided her. If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or that the needy had no covering, if his loins have not thanked me and if he has not been warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I have lifted up my hand against the orphan because I saw I had supported in the gate, let my shoulder fall from the socket and my arm be broken off at the elbow. For calamity from God is a terror to me, and because of his majesty, I can do nothing. We clearly know from Job chapter 31 that God, Job knew where his wealth came from. We clearly know from the same chapter that Job knew what to do with God's wealth. We're reminded in the New Testament by the Apostle John that if we have with our ability to help the truly needy and we don't do that, that that's worse 
than acting like an infidel or an unsaved person. We know from Galatians chapter 6 that we are to do good unto all men, but especially the household of faith. We talked about that relationship to our own needs here, uh, physical, financial in the church, but also our needs of our brothers and sisters last week, remember, in Ukraine. And by the way, this week we'll start to fund as a church that pastor who we saw on video last week. And those resources will start to get disseminated to those Christians throughout Kiev um, and right outside the city there beginning this week. So praise God, and we'll keep you updated on how that goes. And uh, we're working feverishly uh, to be able to help fund um, Irina's sister and nephew to get stateside as well uh, for safety, and we'll keep you posted on that. But Job knew that his wealth was God's, and he knew he needed to steward that wealth in ways that were natural for him to do as a God-fearer. Wisdom teaches us that the giver and the gift are connected and that even those as young as children could grasp this truth and own it and practice giving to the needs of God's people and giving for eternal purpose. I was taught as a kid um, to always give to God's plan. Even before I got my first paycheck, when I was two, three, four, five years old, my parents would always place in the palm of my hand uh, before I walked into Sunday school a quarter. And they would say, you need to, you need to give this in the Sunday school offering because the Sunday school offering is going to help our missionaries. My parents modeled for me the reality that all that they had, which was not much, was wealth gifted to them by God to be used for God's purposes as his children. As that was modeled for me and as I was helped to example that in my future, my parents were fearing God. They were living wisely before me. And what's wisdom literature? It's literature that teaches us how we're supposed to live. Job had wealth. We're told in chapter 31 what he did with that wealth. There's other things we'll look at in the rest of this study of what he did with his wealth that was restored to him after it was all taken away from him. But for now, we understand a little bit more how to live. As I grew up and I began to be able to make money on my own, I had a paper route. Rain or shine or snow, we are on our 10 speeds, going up and down Route 306 right here. Our church stood right next to, our home stood right next to the church, and we delivered the old Cleveland Press, right? And back then, it didn't, uh, your, your parents weren't going to drive you in their car. Um, I don't know whether I'm glad they did or didn't, I, they just didn't. 
<laughs> so we were on our own, 10 speeds, and, and we had a big route. We had over 350 homes to deliver papers to, and we had those old canvas sacks, and we'd get up at 3 a.m., and we'd roll those papers, and we'd stick them in the bags, and we had one shoulder over each bag, and my brother and I would hop on our 10 speeds, and we'd go clear up to Chestnut Commons, and and, and clear down here to Texas and Hawk and past Texas and Hawk and we would deliver newspapers. We'd get back home about 6 a.m. and we'd climb back into bed only to be woken up about a half hour later to get up and go to school. And we made bank delivering newspapers. And if you think that's true, you know that's not true, especially for you former newspaper or current newspaper delivery. We didn't make hardly anything. We lived for Christmas time, right? Right? Why did we live for Christmas time? Because back then, old-fashioned newspaper carriers, you would have to go collect what they owed the newspaper on your own. You were the newspaper's collections agency. Right? You go home to home, you get... But boy, when you went at Christmas times, boy, that's when you're really hoping for the what? Right, for the big tip. We added on a bivocational lifestyle. We had four or five lawns my brother and I got together when we were in the fifth, sixth, and seventh grade, and we were, we were doing newspapers, and we were doing lawns, and, and then I graduated uh, and became a trivocational worker as a youth and I added to my newspaper and to my lawn mowing I added employment at McDonald's and that's when I started making a whopping $3.75 an hour and did such a great job they invited me to go on into what's literally called Hamburger University <laughs> where I could study to be a manager and 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 grow as a young adult to $35,000 a year at that point. I went to a different university. I didn't go on in that. <laughs> but I'm thankful my parents modeled for me and then taught me the fear of God and how to live wisely in relationship to everything that I had, God gave me, not that I had it because I worked for it. It was all God's. He commands us to work. Amen. I just work because he commands us to work. What he gives as a result of me obeying his command is all his. But I'm glad they taught me wisely how to give and not just give sacrificially and joyfully, but to give for spiritual reason. My parents walked me through the why of why I would give. So by the time I got into college, when my parents weren't around, a habit had been built from two, three, four, five years old of what I was going to do with anything that God gifted me. And as my college bills mounted, and I was told semester after semester, you can't come back to school until a certain amount of your bill is paid because you owe us too much, right? My parents would say, you still give. That's what wisdom does. It always gives because it's God's and God tells us to always give and there's no rationale to ever stop 
giving. You just give. Well, Dad, I can't go back to school. I got this letter. God will take care of that. You just give because it's God's and God tells you what to give to. So I can remember when I went to school, I went from $3.25 or $3.75 an hour down to $1.50 an hour. That was the school's wage that they paid. And we would get up. I'm not saying this, this was just life. This is, this is wisdom, right? Learned from my parents. We'd have to leave the dorm at 11 o'clock. We'd go to what was called night cleanup and we'd work till two, three in the morning and we'd come back home and we'd get up for class at six, 6.30. If we played basketball, we had basketball practice at 5.30, so we had to get up at five, right? And we would just go. We'd go through school, we'd go through our day, we'd go back to work, and on weekends we could actually go off campus and make even more money. I could make up to $50 a day on a Saturday. And I was like, wow, that's a lot. But what's the first thing? I work because God commands me to work. And anything I get from the command to work is God's gift to me to go back to God's plan. That's wisdom. So I can remember, I would go and put however much money I could muster. I never gave by God's grace, less than what I thought was appropriate, which to me was the transdispensational benchmark of a tithe. So if I met, made 50 bucks on a Saturday, mowing someone's lawn and cleaning out their gutters, I would take a $5 bill from that 50 bucks and the first place I would visit when I got back to campus, all right, was the post office. And I'd write on there, Grace Church of Mentor, 6883 Reynolds Road, Mentor, Ohio, 44060. And I'd put five bucks in that envelope and it was mailed back to Grace Church of Mentor. Then I would go and I would put the rest on my school bill, praying that I would be able to go back the next semester. You live that way because I knew Grace Church of Mentor existed to glorify God by evangelizing the lost and equipping the saints with the goal of Christ's likeness. And I wanted to give towards that mission because that's God's job, God's money, and it's God's mission. And I'm part of God's family, so that's just what I do. And you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. You sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. God never allowed me to sit out a semester. God always paid that school bill. I had no problem with that. The point of this passage in relationship to Job's perspective of stuff is clear from the context of the whole book. It's not his, it's God's, and it should be used this way. Anyways, Job lived this wisdom before his children. We can certainly say then that Job lived with eternal purpose because of the wisdom he knew and preached I brought nothing into this world. Naked I came into this world and I'll return out of this world the same way. But blessed be God, it's all his. Everything including what has been gifted to us by God begins, continues, and ends with him. Therefore, Job was never one to believe that what he had, he had because of his own piety it was all God 
Like Paul, Job could find contentment in God, whether he had everything or whether he had nothing. Philippians chapter 4. Job's perspective of all he had was exclusively God's gift, and the motivation for giving it was only known to God, just as the rationale for the removal of it. Because of how Job responded when God allowed everything to be taken, blessed be the name of the Lord, we know he had the right perspective when he had it all, and God was to be blessed. Job's theology formed his life philosophy. Whether he had everything or nothing, his blessings were not the just reward for his right living. And his extreme losses were not because of sinful choices. It's all God's anyway. I'm God's anyway. And what he chooses for me today is good because he is good. I don't deserve influence in anyone's life because of what I have. I don't deserve influence in your life because of what I don't have. What grace compelled Job to do is just walk with God regardless of his circumstances. And with that perspective then, we have much to teach others about God and his word and not us when souls come asking any of us how to walk with God and to live wisely. So for the youth of Grace Church, Know this of Job, for all of us. Have a correct perspective on wealth or even the lack thereof. In a spiritual realm, one doesn't make you more or less influential than the other because God is the giver. And God is the influencer, regardless of what you have or don't have. God hasn't asked you to be an influencer. He's asked of us to be servants of his will and of his talents and of his good gifts unto eternal purposes. We'll let God be the influencer. Amen. A holy perspective includes both how we live in our present, in relationship to our past, and how we handle God's, give, God's good gifts to us. And that leads us to Job's piety. And his piety is demonstrated to his family. One of my friends that I went to college with wrote this recently, and I thought it was fascinating. He gave a definition of religion and then a definition of the gospel. The definition of religion is this. I messed up, my dad's going to kill me. <laughs> the definition of the gospel is I messed up and I need to call my dad. Abba Father, right? This is how Job would have built his relationship with his children. And we should take notes as spiritual leaders of youth as well. Job had to have developed his relationships with his families according to grace and not law. Rules without relationships always equal rebellion. How do we know Job did this? Let's ask ourselves three questions about Job's paternal leadership. Truly, any parent, single or married, or grandparents by necessity taking the role of parenting grandchildren consider these questions. Thus, Job did continually, the last line of verse five tells us. And we're gonna summarize what Job did continually about these three questions, and we're gonna study these three questions beginning next week. 
in relationship to his piety. Number one, what did Job value? What did Job value? Number two, what did Job discern? And what did Job require of himself? What did he value? What did he discern? And what personal responsibility? What did he require of himself in relationship to his piety? This, the wisdom truth here goes deep and wide. And we're going to give a whole sermon just to this as we understand a little bit better how to practically live the wisdom of God. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to understand your word a little bit more each time we gather together so that we understand you more, so that we might understand your intentions and your directions, your pathway for our lives. Continue, Lord, by the help of your spirit, as Pastor Steve prayed earlier, to be illuminated as to the significance of Scripture so that we might honor you and live for the internal purpose for which you've saved us in these practical ways. In Jesus' name, amen.